The Holy Gospel according to Mark. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. We could probably come up with lists of significant stories of the blind seeing. What's interesting, I think, in this Bartimaeus story is that he sees more clearly than anyone else before he can physically see. It's an interesting story. But, of course, we have other stories as well. For instance, realistic stories like Chirrut Imwa in Star Wars Rogue One. You remember that character? A simple character kind of sitting by the road in the city where the empire is taking all this, I don't know what they're mining, somebody who can nerd out on that more than I can would, would tell me, but, but he's, he, the, the main characters are captured and he comes out with just simply his walking stick repeat, and tells the, the stormtroopers to let them go, all these you know, guys who are there. And he simply has that stick and his senses, and the mantra, I am one with the force, and the force is with me. And of course, he takes down all of the stormtroopers, and his friend is behind him to help him, all that kind of stuff. But back down here on earth, <laughs> I have a couple stories of seeing that I think are significant as well. Now, neither of these folks that I'm talking about were physically blinded, but they went through periods of coming to see in the name of Christ and by Christ's healing and Christ's spirit. One was a guy I met at a community supper. Not much different than the community meal we have here on Wednesday, except it was an evening meal. And that was back in Federal Way, Washington, when I was just out of college and Karen and I would serve sometimes at this community community dinner. And there was a gentleman by the name of, he just called himself Pastor Eagle. And Pastor Eagle would come in almost every week. And instead of sitting down at a, at a table, he would sit down at the piano and he would play music just the whole entire hour, hour and a half or so that everyone was eating. And he would play and play and play. And we would always go off to him and 
uh, over to him and say, you know, would you, would you like something to eat? And he says, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. Maybe just like a roll with a little bit of butter on it. And that would be all that he would have. And he had such energy and enthusiasm. And I finally got the chance to talk with him uh, one of those weeks and would talk with him after as well. And he spoke about how he had chosen this life. He had kind of come to a revelation in his life. And I won't go into his whole backstory. And he decided to be on the street, to be among uh, people and to minister there on the folks who were in the shadows. And so that was his, his calling, his chosen calling. He had chosen to be homeless. Another story I ran into, not as personally, but kind of through another person, was the story of a young life leader, an enthusiastic young adult who um, came from, you know, pretty, pretty good means. He came from kind of an upper middle income station in life, and he really wanted to serve, uh, you know, outside of, of the United States. He wanted to go somewhere. And so he was trained and he was sent and, and given language skills and all that. And he went down into Mexico, into Mexico City, and he was working in some of the outlying areas of Mexico City. And he was trying to share with the young people there, you know, Jesus, the story of Jesus and his faith and all of this kind of stuff. And they just didn't really care what he had to say they didn't really listen to him at all he would go out to where they were during the day and they would be scavenging for food and they would be doing this and they would be doing that and one of the things that they would do every day would they would is they would go out to kind of the dump in the city and they would scavenge for little things that they could maybe fix or work on and sell and also they would scavenge there for something to eat and he would go there and he would try to talk to them and they just ignore him and storm and finally one day he realized what the problem was, that scales came off. His blindness was healed, in a sense. And he sat down, with, or he, he walked with them, and he scavenged. He didn't bring his lunch. <laughs> he just scavenged for the food, and he sat with them, and he ate. And that's when they begin to talk to one another. And, of course, also where the scales came off for him, and he learned that he wasn't the one bringing Jesus to them entirely. They were also bringing Christ to him in that interaction. Well, Jesus is here today with us. He's here in this story. He's in the flesh. In time and space, God has come to us. And he's seemingly kind of in the garbage dump himself as he leaves Jericho. It's significant, by the way, that he is going away from Jericho. He's outside of the city. It's also significant that Jesus is on the way. And that's it's not just on some random trip, but Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the cross. He's on the way to the open tomb. He's on the way to this pinnacle point in our human history. And on the way as well, we're told, on the side of the road, which again in the original language of Greek, it's, that's the on the way. On the way is Bartimaeus there on the side. And it's significant that we know Bartimaeus' name. Because he was considered a nameless person in his society. He was on the outside. He was on the way out of town. Bartimaeus would have been excluded from family ties. He would have been excluded from the economy of his city. He would have been excluded from being anywhere close to the center of the social and economic system of his place. 
And so it's incredibly significant that we know his name. And I think it's significant for us as well that we know his father's name. You see, his, his name and his family ties are kind of put into the story. Those details are extremely important, especially in Mark, which is such a succinct gospel. Mark doesn't waste words. And so we know that there's almost, in a sense, kind of a first healing that happens that Bartimaeus and his family is named here. And I think it's significant for us, too, as we kind of think about, and as we even think about that kind of Young Life Leaders story, sometimes we see ourselves going into those shadowy places as being kind of the saviors, as the one who are, are bringing all the power and influence and whatever it might be. Yet, in this story, we see it as Bartimaeus, the insignificant one, who speaks with true authority. And what he says here is astounding. We'll get to that in a second. But naming and placing in family is, is again, this sort of first healing, and it, it also makes me wonder about Bartimaeus. You notice at the end of the story, and I'm jumping ahead, but at the end of the story, he follows Jesus on the way. Was Bartimaeus this insignificant blind beggar on the side of the road? Was he at the Last Supper? Was he in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, it speaks to me that, that in the story of Bartimaeus right there at Jericho, just a moment before we walk into Holy Week, and again, Holy Week is not next week. <laughs> We're coming up on the season of Advent, not the season of Lent, but we are coming up to Christ the King Sunday where we celebrate Jesus enthroned on the cross. And so we're just a hair's breadth at the end of the story away from Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and all that comes from that. That's where we're located in this story. Bartimaeus is joining up as a, a follower of Jesus at the very last moment. It's never too late to join in following Jesus, is it? And we never know where an encounter with Christ is going to lead us. We never know where the seeds of faith, when, when and where they will blossom. I was thinking about that as someone came into my office just this morning and talked about how one of our young adults that had been one of our youth, kind of their faith blossomed at work as they were asked, you know, what, it, what is it? What's, what's different about you? And their response was, well, I was raised in the church. That's where my kindness comes from. It comes from Christ. Well, Bartimaeus' naming is significant, but so, again, is his call out to Jesus. We know from the previous stories the disciples can't get it right. If you've been paying attention in Mark, you know that they are not ones of little faith. They are ones of no faith. They completely miss it all the time. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection to them multiple times. And yet, what do we have as the disciples' response? But two stories of them wanting to be the greatest, wanting to be at Jesus' right and left hand in his glory. Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus. He can't see him physically, but he recognizes who he is, and he calls out to him with this very significant title. Son of David names Jesus as the fulfillment of, of God's promise to establish the throne of David forever. This is one of the significant covenants uh, that God has with God's people, is the Davidic covenant in 1 Samuel. Although 
as Jesus will fulfill that promise, he will not fulfill it as probably was expected. He won't fulfill it for one people at one particular time, ascending to the throne, casting out the Romans, and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus, and Jesus won't ascend to a throne of, of gold in some kind of palace. He will ascend to a throne of wood and nails. But the deliverance that comes through that will be for all people, for all time. It won't be a story we tell about some time when God acted in the by, sweet by and by, you know, sometime in a galaxy far, far away. It will be a story that is just as true for us as it was for God's people at that time. And yet, Bartimaeus' claim is not met with enthusiasm, is it? I don't know that the crowd doesn't agree with him. With all that Jesus has been doing, things are kind of growing into a fever pitch. And again, I'll remind you that we are just on the cusp of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The hype around Jesus is growing. But the fact that this worthless piece of, what's his name again? That he's the one calling out to Jesus, that seems to be a problem for the rest of the crowd. And yet we have this complete flip in the crowd. I mean, it's, isn't it almost comic? They're like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Hey, get up, get up, get up, he's calling you. What happened there? <laughs> they become totally encouraging when Jesus calls to Bartimaeus. I wonder again, I, I kind of have some wonderings and some ponderings here a little bit, but I wonder again what that is saying to us. What is that saying to the able? What is that saying to the in crowd, the ones who have experienced Jesus, who have been following him for some time now? Our mission is to connect more to Christ, more people to Christ, yet what is our position in doing that? Hush up, let the experts talk? Or do we listen to those voices that are calling to us from the shadows? You can ponder that a little bit as we move on, but also notice this isn't just an individual healing. This isn't just an individual call. It is a healing and a call story for Bartimaeus for sure. But there's a message in these details for us as Jesus' disciples as well. Notice when Jesus hears his cry, he stands still and calls the man. And again, I think that's very significant. Jesus doesn't go running over to him. He stands still. And it is the crowd who brings the man to Jesus. That speaks to me. Does that, does that speak to you? When someone is calling out and, and seeking Jesus from the, from the shadows, where am I in that situation? How am I encouraging those who are looking for Christ to come to him, to encourage them in their faith, to walk with them, to help them in their blindness to see? In coming to Jesus, there's another significant detail here. Bartimaeus throws off his cloak. Now, that isn't just to, to kind of unburden himself so that he's freer to kind of move towards Jesus. The, the cloak for a blind beggar was all he had. It was probably his most significant, most prized possession. It may have been soiled, it may have been dirty, but it was the only thing that would protect him from the elements outside. There was no, you know, shelter for him to go to at night, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there was no, nobody to help him, no connection that he would have had necessarily, maybe some other 
beggars and that kind of thing. That cloak was his life and was a difference possibly for him between life and death. And yet, confronted with the possibility of, of seeing Jesus, he throws it off. Again, how does that contrast with the stories that we've been hearing? Contrast with the rich man who was called by Jesus, sell everything you have, that's your barrier, that's your blindness. The scales over your eyes are the things you're holding on to that give you your identity. And and identity in me requires that that's cast away. And Bartimaeus does just that. In a sense, in that moment, he is kind of like a contrast to the rich man, young man who came to Jesus. He throws everything away to follow. The disciples, too, are a contrast. They're trying to pile on authority and meaning and worth of their own. Let me be first, Jesus. Let me be called the greatest, Jesus. Let me sit at your right hand. Let me sit at your left hand. Let me sit in authority. Let me be glorified, Jesus. It's a little different with Bartimaeus in his approach to Jesus. But he comes running, throwing off his cloak. It says he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question. Same question, by the way, that he asked the disciples when they wanted to be on his right and left hand. Hey, Jesus, but their question is a little bit different. They say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Here, though, here, though, Bartimaeus doesn't say, hey, I'm Bartimaeus, look at me. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, put me in a, in a better position. He simply says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, his claim is not a claim of his, own, uh, of his own worth, and it certainly could be because he's really on the bottom. If anybody needs to crawl up the scale, it's Bartimaeus. His call out is a faith claim of who Jesus is, not only for him, not only for his nation, but for the world. And Jesus responds to that. What do you want me to do for you? This story is a healing story for sure. But it is a call story as well to Bartimaeus and to disciples then and to disciples now. There are actually two healing stories that bookend this, and I think it's significant. The one on the front end of this that kind of in the, in the first part of chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man as well. Blindness and sight, seeing who Jesus really is, is very important. Following Jesus, extraordinarily important in the Gospel of Mark. But in that first story, Jesus takes the man aside. He takes him to a quiet, private place. And in the first attempt to heal him, the guy can kind of see people blurry. They're sort of like trees. And Jesus touches him and heals, kind of heals him again or completes that healing. It takes some effort, it seems, There's a lot of Jesus' touch involved in in him. And then he tells him to be quiet and not to tell anybody what has happened. By contrast here, when Bartimaeus comes to Jesus, it's just Jesus' word, just Jesus' proclamation, your faith has made you well, that heals Bartimaeus. The scales fall off and he can see clearly just like that. And it struck me as I read those two different stories, those kind of bookend stories, it almost seems as if Jesus' healing becomes more powerful the closer he gets to the cross. The closer he gets to where the powers of the world think, aha, we have defeated this one. His power 
grows. And I wonder what that says, finally, to us. What that says to anything that ails us. To anything that ails our world. Any weight that is upon us, or any weight that is upon our world. Perhaps like Bartimaeus, the, themes, the things that seem, first of all, both alluring, the cloaks that we wear, or overpowering towards us, are actually on their way as well. And they are on their way to die with Jesus, to be put to death by Jesus more accurately. And so a final thing for us to ponder this day is to ponder what we are carrying. What is weighing us down? To ponder what is, is blinding us. What is blocking our vision from seeing Jesus? I love the line that, that when, when, when Bartimaeus is asked what he wants, he says, my teacher, let me see again. And that, I don't know, maybe it just speaks to me or maybe it speaks to you too, but that seems like a mantra that I could say on a daily basis in this time. A time of division. A time when there seems to be almost a world, worldwide kind of low-level depressive, depressive state. And in some folks' lives, a very high level of that depressive state. A time when we are divided in so many different ways that it seems perhaps hopeless. Even within our families, at times, we are divided where there is an inability to see Jesus, or at least it seems like he's getting foggier and foggier and farther and farther away, and that hope that he brings seems farther away. And yet he is on the way. Yet this one who is enthroned on high, he is on the way to the cross to put it all to death and to bring us life once again, to bring us sight once again. You know, the, um, if you're looking for a spiritual practice, when I was in seminary, um, we had this day where we, and this is not normally my thing, okay? But if you want to try this at home or, or for the rest of the service, for that matter, <laughs> uh, you want to have a candle to light, but we lit some candles in a room and just darkened the room, and for about an hour, we simply said these words, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me a sinner. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that was one of the most powerful hours I've ever had in my entire life. To think about the authority that God has and how all of that is channeled into our lives and our life together and the life of the world is a powerful word of hope, a powerful word of gospel. In fact, if you want another spiritual practice, you can sing the song that Jessica, she reminded me of this, and so I had to take it on here. Do you know the last line of Blind Man Stood by the Road and He Died? The last verse? Jesus hung on the cross and he died. Jesus hung on the cross and he died. Jesus hung on the cross and he died. He saying, oh, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way to go home. May our eyes be opened to hope and life in Christ this day. Amen.